Welcome to Gloom Squad. Every episode, we will be showcasing a nonprofit organization that helps those affected by mental illness. This week's episode, we will be featuring Positive Avenues in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. It's free and open Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. It's a daytime resource center open to those experiencing mental health concerns or homelessness in Eau Claire. The center's mission is to provide members with trauma-informed, recovery-oriented services so you can develop skills and become active members of the community. Services include a safe haven from the elements, nutritious hot meals, case management and crisis stabilization, assistance with resumes, job applications, and vocational opportunities, advocacy and referrals to other sources, recreational and social activities, and emotional support. If you feel this facility would be best for you, feel free to tap into Positive Avenues for some help. Welcome to Gloom, ah, Gloom Squad, <laughs> the podcast about all things mental health and depression related. My name is Britt, and I am joined by my co-host, Marie. This first episode is going to be about ourselves mostly, how we met, why we made the podcast, and our mental health status and past struggles. Uh, why don't you go ahead and tell the squad how we met in a little bit, a little a bit about yourself. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, man. <laughs> Hi, uh, I'm Marie, as Britt just said. I live alone with my four cats and a two-year-old golden retriever, so if we're recording at my house, I'm going to apologize ahead of time for background <laughs> noise. One of them's already sitting here with us. Um, I met Britt maybe a year ago. I work with her lovely man, Alex, um, and we met through him. I bought a house about a year ago, so I think that was the first time we really hung out and met was at my housewarming party. Honestly, we clicked and got along pretty well right away, so there's... Uh, there's no struggle there for us, nope. which is a good thing. <laughs> um, we both have really similar views on like mental health and how it's handled in the world, so that was an obvious topic of choice for us when we decided to do a podcast. I was diagnosed in college with dysthymia, which is a consistent, persistent, mild depression. It impacts a lot of things in my life for me. Uh, sleep most days, I'll either sleep a ton or not sleep at all. And lately it's been not sleep at all. So that's been fun. I tend to have no interest in anything if I do sleep for days and I will literally call into work or just not show up for appointments, etc. I also struggle with some anxiety. Um, I went to a boxing class this morning. I got there 45 minutes early, sat in the parking lot, freaked out a little bit, went into the building about two minutes before the class was supposed to start after I psyched myself up, and then actually ended up really enjoying it, so I don't know why I psych myself out like that all the time, but yeah, that's another fun one for me. That's the power of anxiety, baby. Oh man, it's so fun. Uh, medication has really helped me recently. I also started journaling uh, quite a bit, which helps, so I'd keep a habit tracker, um, which actually Britt turned me on to. Yes, I did. <laughs> and uh, medication has been good for me. So Britt, how about you? I'm Britt, like we've said probably a few times before. <laughs> I live with my boyfriend, Alex, who actually wrote our intro song, and uh, we have four kids between us. Um, his I don't younger... know if that's better than four cats, but... Ah! depends on the day when they're doing pile drivers <laughs> to each other off the couch i would probably say cats would be a better choice <laughs> we'll see yeah we have his young brother who's 13 and then our three kids that we had in other relationships that are 10 7 and 6 we also have his father that lives with us which i've really had to kind of get used to that 
a little bit. But overall, it's been pretty good. I can't complain too much. We live in Eau Claire, and I go to school here for substance abuse disorder counseling. My plan is to get my master's in counseling and do a couple different things with that. I have bipolar disorder, which is why most of the time I get my thoughts. My thoughts are before my words, so then I get a little mumbled. Yep, and then that's going to happen a lot. Um, that's why we edit, right? Yes, exactly. lots of editing. Get it. I also have anxiety and body dysmorphia, which is a pain in the ass. Oh, yeah. I struggle with some body image issues for sure, but I lump that in with depression. Yeah. It usually is kind of lumped in there for the most part. Right. You know. It kind of just goes with the... All a nice little cocktail of mental yeah, illness. It's fine. always fun. I have struggled with bulimia in the past with the body dysmorphia and have been in recovery from that for eight years. Uh, so, so far so good. Now I've kind of gone to the extremes of overeating as a punishment instead of undereating. So that's, that's new in the world. <laughs> I'm everywhere. I'm medicated. <laughs> yeah, there's lots of cats. I'm medicated. I very much enjoy my medication, especially being on the right set of meds. Uh, it's just, it's really cleared my head along with sobriety. And I've been sober since July 12th this time around. Um, I just, with bipolar disorder, there's a lot of substance abuse that goes with it with self-medication. And I found that my symptoms are very much alleviated from being sober from alcohol. I'll put that little disclaimer in there. Yeah, for sure. Um, and we'll kind of highlight some stuff that you do and businesses you support too here in the next couple of episodes. Yeah, definitely. I have a substance abuse counselor and I have a therapist and I have a psychiatrist and I have a woman doctor who is very supportive of my mental health and I found that having a lot of different women from different backgrounds has been something that's really helped me and having a team of women that support me and really want to see me get better has really helped a lot. Are you seeing anybody professionally? I'm not right now. Um, for me, I grew up in, in northern Michigan so I grew up there. We didn't really realize a lot of this stuff right off the bat. And then I went to college and I only lived, you know, in college for the five years I was in that town. And then I moved out here to Wisconsin. I've tried a few in-person counselors in a couple of different towns in the area, but I just haven't found the right fit. And I feel like that's a big thing. You have to find the right person. Oh, definitely. So I'm still kind of searching and on that journey right now. Um, I know there's some online stuff out there too. So I figured, you know, maybe I'll try some of that. Um, but it's an ongoing kind of process right now. Coping. I generally use a lot of things to cope because when I was younger and we didn't really realize a whole lot of this was related to mental illness and not just like me being 13 and emotional. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I use a lot of like music. So I, I'm not the greatest singer in the world, but I like to sing. I dabbled and played a lot of instruments. Did I stick with any of them or am I good at any of them? No, I stuck <laughs> with the drums for a while. I was on the drum line in college. I played all through, I think I started in the third grade and played all the way up through high school and college. So that was fun. Am I the best in the world at it? Nope. But I like it. <laughs> but you don't have to be the exactly. best at anything. I like it. I enjoyed it. It was fun for me. Um, so I listened to a lot of music as well. Pretty much every single genre. Not huge into like screaming music. But beyond that, I'll do pretty much anything. So you name it from like lo-fi to country to pop to rap. I'm, I got it all. <laughs> Whatever helps soothe you. Exactly. Whatever mood I tend <laughs> to be in at that moment. Um, so that was a big one for me. But like I said, I wasn't diagnosed until college. So there's a lot of stuff that kind of piled on to the point where I decided to go in and actually 
get some help and get some counseling and, and see what was going on with me mentally. Because when I was about 11, 12 years old, I had my period really young. And so for women who are going through a lot of that stuff, you know, you chalk it up to a lot of like changing emotions and hormone changes and things along those lines. They've actually chalked up, I've seen some studies that women who have their, and I actually just went through this with developmental psych, women who start developing early actually have a higher chance of being depressed and anxious, or girls who start developing early start to get attention from older boys. And that makes them very self-conscious and very like, when did this start? Why is it now? And they start really um, kind of get second guessing what their actual purpose is in life. And they don't understand the sexualization of their bodies. And I think that that kind of plays into a lot lot of of sense. It really does. Like like over sexualization (laughs) in just girls and women in general is just disgusting. I was 11, so I was in the sixth grade. I literally Christmas Eve got my first period. That's beautiful. So it was really just a special time for me <laughs> as a as a young woman. Um, <laughs> but yeah, a lot of that stuff was like chalked up to hormones and whatever else and me just being emotional. But I would like shut myself down. I would shut myself away from my family. We had a finished basement in the house I grew up in. Mm-hmm. I'd go down there. I'd just like watch TV and not want to talk to anybody and be really like snippy and sassy and like rude to people and just to get them away from me. Like, don't come near me. I just want to be alone. It got to the point when I was about 14 or 15, my mom was like, this is like abnormal. This has to stop. So she took me to our pediatrician because we went to a pediatrician like basically all the way up until I went to college. Um, But she was like, oh yeah, like you started young, your hormones are changing, everything's changing really fast. Like we'll just put you on birth control. So they put me on birth control when I was 14 or 15 years old just to help quote unquote stabilize my hormones. Okay. Um, so I wasn't, I guess, an emotional mess as my parents like to call me. Mm-hmm. Um, which I was. And I mean, some of it, yeah, definitely chalked up to hormones. I mean, there's a lot of things and changes happening in that little time oh, span. Oh, definitely. But I think some of that was probably also due to just genetics and, and mental illness. There, it, it runs in my family on both sides. So. Yeah. I think that's probably a big factor into it. Um, I also have an unhealthy relationship with food right now. I am also in the phase of overeating a lot of stuff. Um, I've tried to kind of write that now. I take classes at the gym I go to twice a week. I am food journaling as well as habit tracking. So I'm trying to kind of stay on top of what I'm putting into my body. And I'm trying to exercise and kind of release those endorphins for myself a lot more because I feel so much better after I like go to a class or go to the gym or whatever it might be. So like I said, I tried boxing this morning. I do like a body pump, like weight fitness class circuit thing, essentially Monday and Wednesday nights. And that seems to help me quite a bit right now. So I'm still trying to find that, that healthy balance between things. Yeah. Most of the time I take the dog on a walk. Clearly I use my animals as some form of a coping mechanism, seeing as I have five of them. I was going to say, I hope they <laughs> help you instead of <laughs> irk you. Most of the time they're very helpful. Um, they're very sweet. All of them are very social. Daphne is trying to sniff the microphone right now. She's one of my eight month old kittens. I have two of those. So they kind of make me feel less alone. I live in this house by myself. I moved out to Wisconsin by myself. So I had two cats in college and now I have two more cats and I got a puppy two years ago. For me, it's kind of the dog helps me keep active. I have to take him on walks, take him outside. He's on a schedule. So taking care of him kind of gives me somewhat of a purpose if I'm just home alone. 
And then the cats are definitely there to, to snuggle up and kind of just be a source of happiness for me. I guess that's just a little bit about me trying to schedule and my coping mechanisms and kind of what's shifting in my life right now to try and keep me on track. Yeah. What about you? Um, so with bipolar disorder, my psychiatrist has really recommended a strict schedule, a strict wake up time, strict meal time, strict medication times. So I think I've always kind of had an issue with very, very strict schedules. So that's been kind of a hard thing for me. So I'm trying to be a little bit more lenient in my schedule. I give, cause when, as soon as I hear schedule, I'm like, okay, 7.30 wake up, 8 a.m. pills. 8.30, get dressed. 8.45, get the kids ready for school and get them on their iPad. 9 o'clock, I can make my coffee. Not Like, you know, it's very... It's already thought out for you. It's yeah. kind of just like, this has to happen in your mind. Yeah, and so instead of making these, I have to do this on this exact time, I give myself... Because now I'm working later. Because right. Alex is taking well, a new position at work. That so. and your schedule just changes a lot. Yeah. Even just me. trying to get this podcast in, like, your schedule changes a lot. And that's okay. I'm also super busy. I have two jobs. So. <laughs> yeah, so it's just it's just a lot. So now I'm trying to give myself a little bit more time. And so Alex is really great about like, if I had to work, if I have to work until midnight, because now we have somebody at work with COVID. So now my schedule got shifted. So if all of a sudden that happens, I'm not getting home until like 12, 15, 12, 30. Right. And so then I don't want to go. So then I'm still wired from like, I got to take care of this person. I got to be like on top of all of their needs because that's what I do. I work in home health. So I come home and I'm just trying to decompress. So by the time I get to bed, sometimes it's not until like 1 2 o'clock. Yeah. So it's not within my ability to have that kind of strict schedule. So now I've tried to give myself like 7.30 to 8.30. That's your hour to kind of get up and start waking up. And I found that laying in my pajamas all day is not as helpful as I think it is. Yep. Yeah. So I, the first thing I always do is I get dressed. As soon as I get up, it just gives me an accomplishment throughout the day. Like as soon as I got up, I got dressed. Okay. I can already check something off my checklist and I always make checklists throughout the day. I love lists. I love crossing things off of them. I, I love also them. love crossing things off of them, <laughs> but I've also gotten to the point where I love crossing things off of them that I put a lot of crap on them. Mm. So now I make daily and weekly lists. So I have like two or three things in the day that I have to get done. So it'll be like an assignment. Um, get to work on time. I know that a lot of people are like, get to work on time. Like, that's stupid. But it's just like... It's so not. It's really not. It's now so when you're not. like so anxious and you're just like, am I going to get to work on time? But I have to do this. And that I was like last that. week. And I sent you a Snapchat and I was like, do you ever just sit in the parking lot outside your building that you work at and yeah. just not? Yeah. Because <laughs> I used to be the type of person that would, like you did with boxing, I would get to work exactly 20 minutes early I would sit in the parking lot and I would schedule out how long I could be anxious about getting to work on time mm -hmm. and then I would get and then I would go in seven minutes early because I knew it took me exactly one minute to get into the back hallway and then it would take me 30 seconds to get my stuff off and put it away and then it would take me another 30 20 to 30 seconds to walk from that hallway to clock in exactly five minutes before my scheduled shift. So it's just, I've tried to be a little bit more lenient with my schedules by giving that hour of wake up time, giving that like half hour to, I give myself a half hour to journal or read or just kind of a half hour to just veg out and do whatever I need to do to get set my mind right for the day. And then I get the boys on their iPads and then so on and so forth. So I found that schedules are helpful, but I need I need that leniency, otherwise I will go insane. You have to fit it to you and your lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So schedules are good, but 
to a degree. I found that therapy is really great for me. I found that I have a lot of thoughts about what's led to my bipolar disorder and what's led to some PTSD because I had an episode of that a couple weeks ago and that was really, really eye-opening to what I've kind of gone through and what I've kind of shoved down. And so like being able to talk in that about that in a safe environment like therapy or my substance abuse therapist or counselor, those are kind of cathartic ways that I get my emotions out. And then I usually journal and I bring my journal to therapy and we talk about my different entries and what I was feeling throughout the week. And I keep a very strict mood journal though for sure because with bipolar disorder there's all those different moods so I need to make sure that my medication is actually regulating it and not my mania telling me you're cured you're great everything's awesome <laughs> you don't need to do this anymore you don't my... need those pills you're, yeah, fine. you're fine and my mania will just kind of put me off my rocker a little bit and so will my depression those depressive episodes I'll just be so down in the dumps that I'll just be like, what's the point of this medication? I suck. My life isn't worth living. I just, it's bad. So now I have a medicine track or I have, I showed Marie earlier, my little medicine organizer. Yeah, that I have. Those, like Sunday to Saturday little. Yeah, yeah. So it's just like, I know, and I carry it around with me everywhere. I carry it around more than my purse. It's like attached to me at the hip. So that way I know when I'm, and I do, I have a very strict schedule on those though. I make sure to take those on time. I have alarms in my phone to tell me when to take those. I don't have a very loose schedule with that because I know that those are a little bit more important. But I need to get on something like that. I'm trying to to write myself to be like, all right, evening we take these three pills. Like this is what we're doing before bed. Here's what happens. I still miss days. It's in my my habit tracker and everything. Like, did you take your pills today? So sometimes you just don't, and sometimes and that's okay. It's it's not okay, but it is okay. Like. It's not the greatest that we skip pills sometimes. Consistency but is key, but every now and then we're it's gonna human. happen. We're human. Yeah, it, those things are gonna happen. But yeah, I guess coloring is something I've been doing a lot of. I have a swear word coloring book and a plant coloring book. I like coloring in those for whatever reason. Just the repetitive nature, and I'm very sensitive to textiles, especially when I'm anxious. Um, I have to be in certain clothes. I have to be in certain materials. I guess. So I get into those comfy clothes and then the feel of the paper is very smooth and very cathartic and the feeling of me writing with a pencil. There's certain feelings that feel gritty or certain clothes that feel not dirty, but just they don't, it doesn't feel clean to me for certain textiles. So I have to take those off to feel cleansed, I guess. So I've gotten these specific clothes for my anxiety or for my depression and I stick to certain brands like Express Jeans. I'm wearing them right now. Those are comfy to me and they stretch with my body. And so like being in an anxious environment, like recording my voice, I'm very anxious about listening to my voice. Oh, I don't think I'm going to have, I can't listen to this. There's no, no way. And I'm going to have to edit it and listen to it. So I'm very anxious about that. And so, I'm going to have to put it on the platforms and listen to it and make sure it works. So yeah, yeah this is not going to go well. So we'll see. it'll go well. It'll be, <laughs> it'll be fine. It's just like. I, it's also cathartic for me to get outside of my comfort zone and show myself like, hey, this sucks, but you don't have to be perfect at something for it to be great. And I think that's kind of been my mantra, especially with my overachieving mindset that if I'm not perfect at something, it's not worth doing. So I've kind of found that putting myself out there and doing things that, that aren't me being perfect at it is okay. Mm -hmm. Like today I played chess. 
And my first reaction was to tell Dan that he sucks. And I was really mad at him. And then my second reaction was to tell him good job and good game. And me telling Dan that he sucks. He knew that I was joking. And he knew that I was, you know, just poking fun at him because I was hurt. But it's just like, it's those things that like, it has nothing to do with Dan. It has nothing to do with him beating me. But my over-perfection was just like, he, everyone hates you now because you don't know how to play chess. Right. And you don't know how to do it well. Which I feel like to a lot of people, or people that don't really understand or know mental illness, is just like, how does that happen? How does that work in your brain? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, there's nothing in my brain that says, no, you just need to practice and then you'll get yeah. better. It's like, no. No, my brain tells me that I suck. It's and that one I'll extreme never or the yeah, other. for sure. It's that black and white thinking. How's the pandemic? Um, I'm an introvert mostly so for the most part this has been okay but there are times where I just it also doesn't help that now I live with four children and two other adults where I was like living by my not by myself but it was just me and a six-year-old right like there it's a much different thing so I think I'm kind of going through this kind of crisis of not having any alone time or alone space to process my emotions as much as I would like to Mm -hmm. um I have to kind of utilize my downtime at work to kind of do that which fit it in elsewhere yeah and it's just like I used to it wasn't so hard to fit in that reflection time and now it kind of is which has been hard so I don't and so like the boys they just want to be loved and be played with and given attention so like I'm never mad at them for that but it's just kids it's a huge shift so I think I've just had some issues with that what about you um I I'm kind of both sides of the coin I am I like my alone time I like my quiet time I like being alone I generally don't love people all that much yeah (laughs) um so it's it's been okay for me too. Um, but I do have moments or kind of this other, other side of me, the other side of the coin, essentially, that's somewhat social and wants to be around people that I want to be around and not necessarily crowds like bars or anything like that. But oh, like I no, want to be able to go to have a good meal to eat with a good friend or catch up with somebody, you know, and not have to cook the meal myself or go grab a drink at like a quiet bar and not have to do it myself essentially like when I go home now for Christmas when I go back to Michigan I'm not going to be able to go catch up with people who I haven't seen all year Mm -hmm. I'm gonna essentially have to you know sit and I mean either they're gonna come to me I'm gonna go to them but we have to be pretty careful about what we do Um, so I'm not gonna get to see those people really the way I would have so there's some I guess anxiety and stress around that for me too so again both sides of the coin I really have been pretty okay about it but there's some instances where I'm like I really wish I could do that. How do your parents deal with your mental health or how do they feel about it with your diagnosis and kind of growing up with that? My, like I said, it's it's genetic for me partially. Um, it runs in both sides of my family. My mother's grandmother, she was always described to me when we were kids as like she snapped or she went crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and generally like, oh, it skips a generation. It skips a generation. My mom's like, I'm fine. It's not me. And I was like, oh God, am I the crazy one? Like, did I snap? <laughs> oh my God. My um, sister got it. Uh, we all kind of did. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> It funny. wasn't a Russian roulette thing. It, it was, was not. They're like, we're just going to disperse this equally between the three of you. I have two younger sisters. But so there's that on my mom's side. And then on my dad's side, um, we've had a lot of struggles. He's got they're all half sisters and brothers but he has four sisters and three brothers all older and they in various ways have all kind of struggled with some form of of mental health or they struggle in their marriages or 
they've struggled with substance abuse. I have quite a few aunts that are sober from alcohol. I don't think one of them drinks, that is my dad's sisters, and one of them actually passed away my freshman year of high school due to liver failure from drinking. Okay. So there's a lot of substance abuse, and I always kind of have that in the back of my head too, where I'm like going out and enjoying myself and having a drink. I'm like, oh my God, is this an addiction? Am I going to get addicted? Like, what's going to happen to me? <laughs> Isn't that fun? And so I always have that in the back of my mind too. It hasn't become an issue in my life to the point where I'm like going to stop it. But it's always kind of there. It's always in the back of my mind. Mm -hmm. So my dad, to an extent, understands it. But I don't think because he himself doesn't struggle with it. When I kind of came home and said, hey, I'm on these pills now. Like, I have this whole depression thing now that we get to deal with. He was kind of like, oh, well, what made you depressed? Like, they asked me that more times than I can count. Well, what was it? What was the one thing that made you depressed? And I'm like... You don't get it. Like it's, it's not it's a not thing. A thing. Like it's not no, an event. Yeah, no event happened where I'm just like, you know what? I'm gonna be depressed now because that sounds fun. Yeah. Um, it, or not even that. It's just like there's no triggering no. event. Like it doesn't have to be this big traumatic event that made you sad, and people just don't. Right. Get exactly. That. And so that for me was kind of like they were. Well, what happened? How did this happen to you? And I'm like you guys I don't know I was born (laughs) I was born genetics it was like and it's nothing my parents did like we had an awesome life growing up I adore my parents I love them dearly we had a really good you know house we had everything was provided for us we went to school we had no issues like we went on vacations for spring break like I had a great childhood um so really it's like nothing that stems back to to that or to them at all it's just me yeah (laughs) it's my genetic makeup and kind of you know, things that happened in my life. So that's kind of my parents' view on it. We never really talked about it. And I still don't talk about it. I have one living grandfather still. I don't talk about it with him. I never talked about it with my dad's parents when they were living. Um, one of them has a dental and a doctor's degree. Like a, Oh, so he just, was, just two and one, just hanging just out. Just two and one, you know, <laughs> just casual. Dieter, what a guy. Um, and he died my sophomore year of college, so we never really talked much about it, um, because I was still kind of figuring everything out then. Mm -hmm. And then my grandmother on my dad's side passed away the first year I moved out here, so in 2018. And so I was well into it and well medicated at that point, but she, she also is like a very, or was a very strong-headed, bull-by-the-horns kind of woman. She grew up through World War II, um, with a single mom, because her dad passed away from World War I. Oh, no. Um, so they were in, like... She grew up in Breslau, Silesia, and she was really young when World War II started, like 11, 12, and then they were, like, in Dresden two days before the bombing and hopping trains and, you know, Mm -hmm. doing all that stuff and just trying to survive, essentially. And so she came over to this country, married twice, whole nine yards, we don't need to get into my family history. (laughs) But, um, so she just had this attitude, like, if it's wrong, you fix it. Yeah. And so that's something that we were pretty much the same person her and I we had a lot of the same thoughts a lot of the same opinions a lot of the same everything so when we get together we would almost butt heads because we are so much the same like we couldn't be in the same room without another person's opinion because we would drive each other nuts oh yeah I went over there once by myself in college and we both just looked at each other after about three hours and we're like we're gonna go into separate rooms now and then (laughs) we're gonna come out later yep because neither of us can deal with this right now and we just knew it we're like no, this isn't happening. Oh, no. So <laughs> for her, we never talked about mental illness or anything like that because I feel like it was taboo for her generation and kind of their time. So that's something I never brought up with her. Yeah, for the most part, my parents are, I mean, they're understanding. 
they support me and what I'm doing and everything that's going on in my life, but they just don't, they don't get it, which is fine. And I'm not going to blame them for that. We just generally don't talk about it in my family. But it's um, good that they're supportive of yeah, the things that you're for doing sure. for yourself. For sure. And uh, yeah, it's just not something we talk about often because it always ends in the question, like, what happened? Was it me? Like, they try to blame themselves for it and it's like nothing you did and it gets into a weird corner of conversation that we just kind of avoid now. So. Yeah, I think just for the sake of your guys' relationship and just for sure. to make sure that there's no hard feelings, yeah. it just makes and my, the most sense. My middle sister struggles a lot with anxiety, like much more than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, she was medicated for that for a while. I don't think she is right now. Then my youngest sister is 19. She'll be 20 here shortly. She's in college still and still like figuring out life and everything. And I think she's starting to figure out that oh, right, maybe I do need to be on some medication or something else, too, because her and I are also quite similar. So what about you? What about growing up? What about family? Oh, um, so in eighth grade, I wrote this paper about, I had been feeling these symptoms since I was probably like fifth, sixth grade. Um, but then eighth grade, it kind of came to a head. And I wrote this paper about what I would do to kill myself and how I was so depressed. And my English teacher ba- basically gave it back and he's like, I don't feel comfortable grading this, but we do need to talk to your parents about it. And so then my parents talked to me about it. They were concerned. So then we went to the doctor. We were talking about different symptoms I was having. So I got, this was in eighth grade. So then I got prescribed to fluoxetine. Woop woop, that's what I'm on. Yeah, it did <laughs> nothing for me in case anyone was wondering because SSRIs are not for bipolar disorder. It actually causes manic episodes. But anyway, so then my dad was like, you just need more Jesus. We need to get you into religion more. So then I started reading at church and getting more involved in that. And my dad never really re, um, what is it called? Reordered my prescription. I know that's not refilled. There's, there the, there's the word. <laughs> there it is. He never refilled my prescription. So then I went a couple years without medication. I had my son really young. I was 19 when I had him. I was suffering from severe depression before that, um, but didn't really know how to get medicated for it because I was on my dad's health insurance, so I didn't want him seeing the bill Mm -hmm. and getting upset at me because I was seeking help in a different way. So then I had Maddox, um, suffered from postpartum depression, was hospitalized for it for um, a little over a week, and then I I was on Zoloft and what else was I on? I think it was Boost Bar. Boost Bar did absolutely nothing for my anxiety. It didn't even touch it. It just made my head kind of woozy. And I ended up going, I, Boost Bar is, I hated it. I hated every moment of it. Um, (laughs) And then I stopped taking the Zoloft because it was making me have manic episodes. So I was thinking that I was cured. I was saved. I don't need these meds anymore. So I went off of them. I went off 150 milligrams cold turkey of Zoloft. Yikes. Yeah. So the manic episode really helped with the side effects of that. Perfect. Yeah. And the drinking helped the other side effects. Great. So I was drinking a lot. I was off my meds. I was probably what you would call a functioning alcoholic. I was still going, getting to work on time, was still going to my job. Um, was calling in every once in a while for the depressive episodes, but for the most part, I was functioning with, through the mania and the depressive episodes 
coping with alcohol, which most bipolar people do. And then I started going to therapy. That was helping a little bit through the episodes. And then I decided to talk to my doctor a little bit more about it. We decided that bipolar disorder was probably a better diagnosis. So I was officially diagnosed this year. And now I'm on antipsychotics and Effexor for the anxiety. And so far those are working. Um, I haven't told either of my parents about my diagnosis, mostly because my dad's not not supportive. He's very supportive of certain things, but he, if he doesn't get it, he basically doesn't want any part of it, or at least that's kind of what I've gathered. What about like siblings? Um, My brother has depression and anxiety. I think he has mostly anxiety. I think he's medicated. I don't really talk to my brother that often. He and I don't really get along. Um, I see him on holidays, the occasional text. I don't really go out of my way to talk to my brother. I have two other siblings that are nine, ten, something like that. Um, and then my seven-year-old sister. So they're, you know, they're young. They're young. They're still figuring it out. They're, I don't gotta worry about them. They just want Barbies and video games. So I talk to them. I hang out with them. Um, but none of them have any disorders. Um, my anxiety definitely comes from my grandma. She's got some, I love my grandma, but she is just an anxious mess. She'll just, no, not an anxious mess, but she'll just like sit there and like swipe crumbs off of a table. That's like the thing that we just kind of, you know, poke fun at her a little bit. She'll just swipe crumbs off a table that aren't there just to be doing something and just to be moving her hands. Right, just to be like fixated on something. Yes. And so she does that a lot. So I'll I'll poke fun at her, but I think that's just her nervous, anxious tick. Um, so a lot of my anxiety comes from her, but I think a lot of that anxiety comes from not having my grandpa around because she took care of my grandpa. He was in Vietnam. He was affected by agent orange. Do some research on that. That's a real fun thing to look into. (laughs) Um, so he was affected by that. And so he had tons of health issues from that. So she took care of him. She took care of him basically ever since he well not ever since he came home but for a majority of his life she was his primary caretaker Mm -hmm. um and I think when he died she just kind of lost that purpose in life and it just kind of spiraled her anxiety a lot more than it was and it's hard to find like almost a new purpose if you want to call it that yeah at a late point in your life too yeah and I mean like she takes care of her grandkids still um but I mean she's getting to that age where that's not really something that she can be doing full-time I mean from here here and there it's totally okay but like she was doing meals on wheels for a while and she quit because she's like people should be bringing me meals and it's just like how can you find a purpose when now you're kind of at this point of right what do I do now when I when now I need the help and I think she's really struggling with that so a lot of my anxiety comes comes from her I get that I have a hard time asking for help yeah, I don't think anyone has an easy time asking for yeah. help. I don't think a lot of people... And I think that there's that pride aspect and that guilt and shame that kind of comes with it of... And I think it also comes from the stigmas of society with mental health disorders. Just like, what... Because you never know exactly how somebody's going to react, especially right. especially with bipolar disorder, because it is a more severe disorder on the mental health scale. Mm-hmm. Um, I am treated with different medications than depression and anxiety and stuff like that and so I think me coming out as bipolar is really anxiety inducing because you get this label immediately I see it in people's eyes as soon as I tell them it's just like oh she's crazy right and it's just like 
That's not, not fair. Yeah. Like, yeah, not. I have a mood disorder. My moods are not where they need to be exactly when they are. And I have a hard enough time regulating that and come to terms with it. I don't need you looking at me and saying, right. you're fucking insane. Like, yeah, I get it. Okay. Like, I got it. <laughs> like, There's like a stigma there. Yeah. And it's just, I think it's harder to ask for help, especially in those scenarios. And I think my favorite question that I've gotten since starting medications and therapy and everything is like, what's your long-term solution? This is my long-term right. solution. Medication is my long-term solution. Exactly. Like, do you, like, that's how the, I don't know. It's just like, what do you want me to do? Like meds isn't good enough for you. Therapy isn't good enough for you. Do you want me to just be off my rocker for the rest of my right. life? What, what else would a long-term solution look like? Like I, it's just different for everybody. And, I, th- and I think like, and then forcing people to do that. They're like, well, have you tried exercising and stuff like that? It's just like, if I didn't, we wouldn't be here. Right. You, you go through a list of things like the internet tells you will help when you first get into this stuff. Like I went down a rabbit hole and I made a list. I'm like, I'm going to do all these things. I had like post-it notes all over my apartment in college. Like do this, do this. When you open the fridge, do this. Like yeah. I, it was insane. Like, I looked like a crazy person. I did. And I'm not. I mean, you're not either. No. But like you go down that rabbit hole of like... What's going to fix me? And realistically, like, there's no fixing you. It's really just learning to live with it and how to cope with it. Yeah. And I think people don't understand that there's no, there's no fix. There's no reason to fix. Well, there's reasons to help cope and kind of put things together. But like, I am who I am. You, I, this is me. Like, I can't fix me. Yeah. And there's nothing. I mean, like, yeah, my moods do need to be fixed, but like, I can't fix them. There right. is no fix. Right. There is no cure for my disorder. You live with it. So I live with it and I have to do my best to live with it. And having people harp on me and be like, what's your long-term goal? What's your solution? You can't live like this forever. It's like, no shit, Sherlock. You don't <laughs> say. Like, that's why I'm on medication. So I don't have to live like this forever. Right. And like, I hate the whole, you just need to exercise more. Yeah, it probably will help my anxiety a little bit. That's why I go on morning walks. But these people that are like, go to the gym and that'll fix you. It's like... I wasn't like I was in basketball. I was in cross country. I was in track and those competing things. I would sit out races because my anxiety was so bad. I couldn't even compete. Like I have so much anxiety has not helped me. Like it helps me after a while, but like it doesn't do what my medication does. It doesn't do for me what therapy does. It doesn't do for me what journaling does. It helps the physical jitteriness, but it doesn't help the racing thoughts. It doesn't help the 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 cart before the horse kind of thing that I get with bipolar disorder with talking. Like the thing that helps me is my medication right. to calm those thoughts and to be able to sort those kinds of things out. And it's just like, sorry, exercise doesn't do that for right. me. Right. And everyone's different. Like for me, I'm trying to exercise more because if I don't get up and get out of the house, I will literally just sit and mope around and get myself into this like stewing mood of awfulness. Like, yeah, I feel bad about myself. I feel bad about the way I look. I feel bad about not doing anything, but am I going to get up and do it? No. So now I'm trying to like make myself go to the gym and I have massive gym anxiety. Like people are looking at me. People are judging me. They're going to think I'm fat. These people are so ripped. Like, I'm so weak. I'm so like, and I literally sit in the parking lot and psych myself up to go to the gym. And sometimes I text friends and I'm like, motivate me. I need motivation to do this right now. 
Like, I think gym shaming is super interesting because it's like the point of the gym is to get in shape. So why are we you're shaming there and you're people? trying? Yeah. Like, like why do you care what I'm doing at the gym? Hey, like why do you I care? Just, I always feel like everyone's watching me and looking at me and judging me, and I just get so worked up about that going into it, and then I do it, and I feel great afterwards. So I'm like, it's a struggle in both ways. Like I know I have to go do it to feel good, and it helps with like my body image and things that I I do with myself. So like. It helps me get out of the house. It helps me, you know, go walk the dog a little bit more because I'm used to being more active or I'm used to doing this and that. And so for me, it's more helpful than it is harmful, but that gym anxiety is for sure there. And I think for some people, and I guess I'm not shaming people that use exercise to... No, 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 no. Do you know anxiety? And like, I get that. And I don't want you to think that I was doing that or anybody (laughs) listening. I don't want you to think that she hates the gym and blah, blah. No, I don't hate the gym. I actually really do enjoy the gym going, but it's just like, I'm glad that that helps you. And I'm glad that that everyone's different. Yeah. And that's the thing that I think people need to understand is that you and I cope differently. We have different disorders, different things that we do that help us out. Like we're friends. We get along. We have a lot of the same views, but we deal with life differently and everyone out there and everyone listening is going to deal with life differently. So yeah, I think I'm just tired of the people that are like, oh, I know what's best. Yeah. I know how to live I'm the best tell life. you <laughs> how to live your life because I know the best way to live life. And it's just like, no, you know the best way to live life for, for you. you. Your life. Yeah, and that's great. I'm glad you found ways to make yourself happy. And I think that people want other people to be happy. And it's just like, that's not no, the way to do it. I found contentment in the depression. I found contentment in being more melancholy. Like I found that. And I think that that's really therapeutic for me. I don't dwell in it anymore. I used to sit and dwell in it for days. I used to, Alex can tell you, I used to, I would, I used to sit in bed before my medication and just stare at a wall. And I would just dwell in how bad I felt and I would be comatose. I wouldn't eat. I wouldn't do anything. I would literally just sit in that bed and just stare at a wall. And like in those situations, should exercise have probably gotten me off my ass? Yeah, I probably should have gotten up and gone for a walk or something. What helped me get out of that mood was not that. It was sitting and coloring. That's what got me out of my mood was sitting and coloring. And I think you found that. Yeah. And I think just snapping out of that mindset has been something that I learned in therapy. People is just like (laughs) you form habits by changing your response to things. So instead of like, I am depressed. So what's survived me this long has been staring at a wall. But now what helps me survive is coloring and I don't dwell on it anymore. And I think people just need to understand that sometimes that's the gym. Sometimes that's exercising to snap out of those emotions. And sometimes it's coloring, coloring. reading a book. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Sitting down and journaling, doing, you know, some research on something. I don't know. It's whatever makes you feel better. School's been super great with my depression and hasn't been great with my anxiety. But, you know, double-edged sword there when you have multiple disorders. Exactly. So I guess... What do you hope to get out of this then, this whole Gloom Squad podcast deal? I guess what I'm hoping for is a sense of community and having people that think like me and I want to show people that people with bipolar disorder can live fulfilling lives and can be quote unquote normal and can, you know, we're not outcasts and we're not social derelicts and, you know, we have a purpose and our purpose is to live our best lives and that's what I hope. everyone else. Yeah. And I just hope to show people that you can do whatever you want to do. If you want to start a podcast, start a freaking podcast. You want to go to school <laughs> and get your master's after failing your first two semesters of college and open your own therapy 
and holistic recovery center like I want to do, then you can you can do that. I guess I just want to show people that I can I can do this and you can too. Yeah, that's awesome. What about you? So I'm kind of hoping, at least for me, uh, this is more of like a little cathartic thing for the both of us. And hopefully for people out there listening too, just to kind of sit down and realize that, yeah, a ton of other people also have mental illness, whether that's depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, you name it. There's a ton out there and there's a ton of variations of all of those things. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Let's get it out there. Like there shouldn't be this huge stigma against it. I don't walk around obviously with a sign, you know, on my forehead that says I have depression and anxiety, but like, (laughs) why should that be such a taboo thing? Yeah. It shouldn't be. So I'm kind of hoping this helps at least get the world to be a little bit more comfortable with it, or at least those people listening to us and maybe they find some comfort in the podcast, but I know I'm probably going to. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. I think it's great that both of us have the privilege to be in the states that we're in like we both had the resources to get medication we both have the resources to get therapy and I hope that by having more conversations like this more people can have that privilege and more people take it seriously and hopefully by showcasing a different clinic or a different kind of nonprofit that we plan to do for all our episodes those people who don't have all of the resources that we did can find some help and find some happiness too in their lives yeah definitely so uh thanks for joining our very first episode of gloom squad we plan to bring some interviews with mental health advocates uh workers friends as well as some interesting new topics for each episode so if there's any suggestions for us please reach out and let us know Britt will tell you how Uh, We plan on releasing episodes every other Wednesday, so our next episode will be on January 13th. Thanks for listening. Um, If you have any questions or suggestions uh, or want to follow along for any updates um, of our lives or the uh, podcast, (laughs) um, our Instagram is Gloom Squad. That's G-L-O-O-M-S-Q-U-A-A-A-D. Uh, (laughs) Gloom Squad was already taken, so we had to get a little creative on the name. Uh, Thanks for listening in, and we'll see you next time.